All right, you can go ahead and turn back to the book of Acts. You can start in Acts chapter 1. We're pretty much going to read the whole book this morning. Oh, I hope you're ready to read. I hope you're excited. We got a little bit more light in here this week, so hopefully you can see all the words on the page, that sort of thing. Go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 1. Uh, so this week, we're going to talk about God has provided church structure for us as a means of, of, I guess, furthering the gospel, furthering the growth of the body of Christ, and, and the importance behind having a consistent church structure what, what it is that Acts kind of explains about church structure. When I talk about church structure, I'm talking about church leadership and the way that that is all organized. And we're going to be uh, talking a little bit. This is actually when I first, I think the first sermon I preached after we planted CRC was on this subject, on, on elders and deacons and, and the church, the way that God had organized it. Uh, and I think now that I've been preaching and going through all these things for, what, seven and a half years now, a, a long time, um, I, I appreciate more and more, every time we come back and revisit this idea, I, I appreciate that God has given us such um, clear un- expectations of what it is that He wants uh, his church to look like in the way that it's governed, in the way that it's run, because because the more and more um, I I see this, the more and more I appreciate why it is that he he kind of organizes things. Because there's a lot that we learn about God beca- by the way that we organize the church. So so here's the big overarching point. Big overarching opening point this morning is that the church is led by elders and deacons, and we're going to talk about what both of those things mean this morning. But but within that, I, I want us to learn some things about the ways that God interacts with elders and deacons and, and what are some of the things that we see in Acts. Uh, so if you're in Acts chapter 1, if you're not, go ahead and turn there because I haven't yet, so you have time. Acts chapter 1, uh, the first idea is that, that church leadership is chosen by God. We read this passage a couple of weeks ago um, when we were talking about God being the God of the results, and we were looking at it more thinking about His sovereignty in, in every aspect of our lives. But specifically in Acts chapter 1, I want us to look at church leadership. So Acts chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 24 through 26. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. That seems like such just kind of a, it's just a thing that happened. They Did they roll some dice? Did they flip a coin? How did they do but it seems like one of those, we can't really decide what it is that we're supposed to do yet, so we're going to flip a coin and we'll just go with that. That seems like the way that we would treat a coin flip nowadays. But, but what they're really saying here is, we know that God knows exactly who he wants to be in this position of leadership and who he's calling, and we want to make sure that we are relying on God to provide all the information we need so that we can confidently go forward and, and so they, they cast lots, the lot falls on him, and they say, this is the guy. God has chosen him. So the first thing is that God chooses who he wants to be in leadership. God calls us to some role within the church. 
Some people feel called to do different things. They don't feel called to eldership. They don't feel called to be a deacon. And that's fine. God calls us to so many different things. But just like he calls us, he may call you to go be a computer programmer. He may call you to be an artist. He may call you to be a musician. He calls all of us to different things. But specifically, when he comes to church leadership, God is very specific in saying, I want you to serve in this place for this time. The second thing that we learn is that, is that the church is to be led by a plurality of elders. Now, when I say plurality, that's a fancy way that church people say it because, I don't know, it makes us sound smarter or something like that. Basically, what he's saying, and we're going to see this in just a second. Uh, let me just go ahead and read this. Acts 14. If you want to go ahead and flip over there with me. Acts chapter 14. I'm going to read verses 21 through 23 of Acts chapter 14. I told you, we're going to go literally everywhere in the book this week. Acts chapter 14, starting in verse 21. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. When they had appointed elders for them in every church... With prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Now, this is just one example of elders being established in a church. But, but everywhere that we see the idea, the word being used here for elders, when they're talking about placing leadership in a church, every time that word is used in a plural sense. They are putting multiple people over the church. Multiple people who are equally if you want to go with, this isn't really a hierarchy sort of thing, but they are all like a board of equals. There's no one with more power. There's no, there's no, there's no ruler over everything. If you want to ask how, how we've kind of viewed this at CRC, because we've always had somewhere between three, four, two at one point while people transition in and that sort of, we've always had a plurality of elders here at CRC. If you want to say, well, who's the senior pastor? Because some people still just can't not ask that question. Who's the senior pastor? Jesus is the senior pastor. Jesus is the one who's over all of us. He's the only one with more authority than us over the church. We are just here serving him equally as we oversee the church. And so everywhere that we see eldership mentioned in the New Testament, it's talking about a plurality, multiple people leading the church. And I think that's a smart thing because, A, we're all sinners, and it's good to have accountability. And it's especially good to have accountability when you're the ones who are accountable for the people of God. And so we see this everywhere we go. They're establishing a plurality, multiple leadership, so they can lean on one another. It's, it's worked out so well because we have had so many, I mean, throughout the life of the church, we've had different people serving as elders who had so many different strengths. And having different strengths really helps us to kind of balance one another out, help us to kind of encourage one another or point out areas where there is weakness within one of us or the other so that we can, we can make sure that the church is, is well governed, well taken care of. Now, this is, this is very different than what some of you may have grown up in. When I grew up, there wasn't a board of elders who made, lots of, who made all the decisions for the church. We're going to talk about some of the decision-making in just a sec, some of the things that elders are called to oversee when I grew up, it was we had a senior pastor, and if people didn't like that, they could vote him out. Lots of voting. Lots of, we would call that congregational rule, where, where the congregation, all the people, it, very similar to democracy that we're used to, and I think that's so popular because it, it works 
and has worked off and on, I'll say that, worked off and on so well in our country. But it's worth noting that that's not the way God established it. God said, I'm in charge, this is my church, and I'm going to leave you people in charge of everything. So, Because here's the second point. Here's the second point. So, so first, the church is led by elders and deacons. Second point, elders oversee. Elders oversee. What does oversee mean? So say you are a parent, and you have your child, and you love your child, and they're, they're great. They're so much fun. And then say, for whatever reason, there's, I don't know, a global pandemic, and your child doesn't go to school for like three or four months, and you stay in your house with your child for, I don't know, what feels like more than three or four months, not because you don't love your child. You love your child. She has no idea I'm talking about her. You love your child. She's great. But, but there comes a point when, when things are starting to open back up that you're like, I want to go spend some quality time with my wife. And I would like to leave my child in the hands of somebody else. Now, that's not that I don't care for my child. It's not that I don't love my child. I want my child to be well cared for. And so, and so I take my child and I leave her with a, a trustworthy family member or a babysitter, right? We've all maybe experienced babysitting. Maybe, we have, maybe you have been a babysitter. Maybe you have been babysat. Maybe you have desperately prayed that God would reveal who the perfect babysitter is for you on this weekend so that you can go out to eat, Right? We've all, we all understand this concept of a babysitter. That's kind of what overseeing looks like. That's kind of what eldership is. It's basically babysitting God's kids. Because what happens at the end of the night when, when, when the parents come to pick up their kid after they've been with a babysitter? What, what is it that uh, whichever parent is more concerned for rules will ask? How did everything go? Did they break anything? What did what? How 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 were they treated? You know, did did you take care of my kid? Did you make sure they got fed? Did you make sure they went to the bathroom? Have they have they injured themselves in any way? And what's happening? The, the babysitter is being asked to give an account for the level of care that they showed for my kid during all of the time that I was away. Now God is not away. God is not distant. God hasn't forgotten and let go of us. He's not, he's not completely detached and off on a date. That's not how God works. But, but God it did say, I'm going to leave the church in the hands of you, church leadership. And, and, that, and so when I say oversee, I mean like take care of, protect God. And we're going to look at what some of those different areas are in just a second. And we're going to read a bunch of verses about that. But I want you to kind of have this picture of like a babysitter. Like, like I, as an elder, have been called to make sure that you are being cared for well so that when I go and talk to your dad, who is God, and he says, so how well did you take care of my kids? I can say, and give an honest account. That's eldership. That's what overseeing. And that word overseer is one of the words that is often used to describe a pastor, an elder, an overseer, a shepherd. Somebody who, who takes care of a flock for the owner, or in this case, God. So elders oversee. 
The first thing that they oversee is kind of the, the spiritual formation, the spiritual well-being of the people of God. They're like their shepherds. Acts 20, 28 says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Think about that. That's God saying, these are my people. I bought them at a great cost, the life of my son, so that they could be mine, take care of them. That's the call to eldership. That's what, that's what the call to be an overseer is, is to basically take on the children of God for God. In 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, Peter gives us this great description. If you want to, actually, if you want to turn there, you can. I mean, hold your place in Acts because we're, we're coming back. But 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. Oh, that's 2 Peter. That's not going to be the same thing. 1 Peter chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. This is Peter kind of describing the call of an elder. 1 Peter 5. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So, so there's a couple of things that we see in here that I think are important for us to note. There's some calls to, to elders and how they govern, and that they shouldn't be doing so under compulsion. This is a thing that you are called to. This is a thing that you run toward willingly because God has put it in your heart to go after that thing. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion. God's saying, I don't want you to be here kicking and screaming. I don't want to have to be, be, be dragging you to take care of my kids. I want you to want to watch my kids for me. Which is why it's so easy to rely on grandparents often to get them to, to babysit because they want to watch them anyways. They like hanging out with them. And they're free. But what else do we see in here? They say, be examples to the flock. What did, what did Peter start with in here? He said, as a fellow elder and a witness in the sufferings of Christ, as, and this, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Like, Pastors are still just people who are saved by Jesus. They're still the exact same as anybody else. I'm still equally sinful and equally saved. The difference being that I am now called to also make sure that I am providing some oversight to you. I love that, and this is just for me, <laughs> and when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. That's good news, right? I think, I think he gives you the crown because there's sometimes that this is hard. This is not an easy calling, which is why he doesn't want you to be doing it under compulsion. He wants, he wants people who are called to, who are excited about, who are, who, are, who are able to fill that role and will do so willingly. 
And then, he, and then he kind of speaks to those who are under the elders. He says, basically, respect the elders that God has placed over you. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. I think, and I think that that's important because, because yes, we are all equally Christian. There is no, there's no higher tier of Christian that is elder that is better than everyone else. That is true. But he is still saying these people are responsible for you. Humbly submit to their leadership. Which is hard to do because we don't always agree with leadership. We don't always agree with the ways that we're being guided. Now, if they're asking you to sin, if they're doing something contrary to the Word of God, that's a different thing. But, but, the way that we're called to submit to the authority of those who God has placed over us is vital. So what are some of the ways that elders provide oversight? The first one is they execute judgment. And by judgment, I don't mean they're judgy. I mean they're making wise decisions on behalf of the church. Acts chapter 15 verse 19 says, Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. This is very similar to what we were talking about with Peter's experience a few weeks ago. They, they all got together. They said, how are we supposed to handle this disagreement that we have over how we're to treat those who are being saved? And, and the elders got together and they made the call and they, and they explained it to the church. Acts 16.4, and they went on their way through the cities. They delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. Now, that doesn't, I don't know if that necessarily means that every church has oversight over every other church. We are individual churches. Uh, this is kind of, I mean, so in the Southern Baptist Convention, which we're members of, there's no one church that has authority over another church. They're all individual churches that kind of connect, connect together. And, and in Acts, it was a little bit different just because there were no churches. And so there was the main church in Jerusalem that was kind of feeding leadership out into other places. And so there was a little bit more hierarchy at this point. Um, so I don't want you to think that what I'm saying is that means somebody can make a decision and they can send it down and say, this is the way it's going to be. Because that's not really how the church is structured um, today. But what I do want you to notice is that the, the, the judgment had been come down, came down from the elders. And they said, we have prayed, we have discussed, we have asked God to reveal how we're supposed to move forward in this way. And God has said this, and this is the way we're going to go. And that's the responsibility. Making those kinds of decisions is not necessarily a thing to be envied because that is, that is, a, difficult, that is a difficult thing that they were working through. So they were executing judgment. They were, they were making decisions. They were trying to understand and what the Word of God says, how we're supposed to live. And they were explaining that and teaching it to the people and calling them to follow them in that way. A lot, oftentimes today, that comes through preaching. That's one of the main ways that we, that we kind of execute judgment in that we, we study something and we teach. This is what, what we believe this passage of Scripture is saying to us as the church, and this is how we believe we're supposed to move forward in light of that. So they execute judgment. Second, they pray for healing. We read this just a few weeks ago, maybe again even last week. We've been reading a lot of these verses over and over again. Acts chapter 5. If you want to turn back to Acts chapter 5, uh, just to kind of remind you of what, what it was like when, again, the church was at its healthiest. Acts chapter 5, I'm going to start in verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. 
and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the street and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were healed. Church leadership is used by God to pray for and, and many times bring about healing. We read this a few, a few now a few months ago, uh, right at the end of our study of the book of James. Uh, James chapter 5, I'm going to start in verse 13. It says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. This is not something that we practice well, I think, in the church today. I think maybe we've convinced ourselves it sounds too superstitious or it, doesn't, it just doesn't sound like that's the way God works anymore. But the... I'm saying this because we also don't necessarily communicate this often enough. Scripture says, is, are you sick? Let him come to the elders and let them anoint them with oil and pray for healing. We could do this way more often. And I think it's reflective of where the church ought to be. I mean, like I said, we, we're, we're coming, we're in the middle of or coming out of, depending on which Twitter feeds you follow, uh, a pandemic, right? Uh, so... We're, we're, we're so zo like focused on what does this what does this expert say? What does this expert say? What am I supposed to do if I get sick? Well, I'm supposed to wear am I supposed to wear a mask? We we get so distracted by the scientific part, we forget the spiritual part. We forget the part where it's like, man, people are sick. We should pray, man. My my spouse or my parent or my child is sick. We should take them to the church and ask for prayer. We should do this more often. I'm not saying we shouldn't worry about doctors. I'm not saying we should ignore the, the, the medical community. Not at all. But what I am saying is we should not forget that God has specifically said, are you sick? Go to the church. Ask Him to pray for you. We are here for that. If you need prayer in that way, come to us. Ask us. We would love to serve you in that way, because we don't say that often enough. So in overseeing, they, they, they pray for healing, they execute judgment, they oversee church finances. Yes, I'm going to get into money for just a second, just for a second. We talked about this uh, when we, we were reading in the, there's a summary at the end of Acts chapter 4 where it talks about People were laying their money at the apostles' feet and they were distributing everybody as anybody had need. People were, people were selling fields and giving the money to the church. Not, not necessarily giving designated gifts to the church. Not saying, hey, here's a hundred bucks for this specific thing or for this specific, you know, this fund. It was, here is my money. Do with it what God leads you to do. That's what God's desire is for the church. Acts chapter 6. If you want to turn there, you can. I'm going to read verses 2 through 9. Oh, sorry, I skipped ahead. Acts chapter 11. I read the wrong one. 
back there panicking on the Acts chapter 11. I'm going to start in verse 27. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. The elders were the ones who gathered this money and, and determined that they were going to send money to different places to serve other brothers and sisters in different areas of the church. We do this all the time. We support mission work as a church. You probably support mission work as individuals or as families. These, these are things that the church has always done, but what we don't realize that we're doing when we do that is we're handing money to somebody else and saying, you do with my money what God calls you to do. When you give your tithes and your offerings, and, and we haven't... I mean, we've been able to do that online while we've been separate, but, but if you come and you give your tithes and your offerings here, I mean, just as a reminder, we got the basket over here, not, not, not making a big appeal, We're, but I'm just saying, it's there. You can. But when you do that, you're not just saying, hey, now I'm buying some stock in your company, and I have a little bit of control over what you do. You're saying, no, this, is, this money is for the work of the Lord, and you're trusting the elders who God has appointed over this church to make sure that we do well with what God gives us. That is part of the responsibility of church leadership, to make sure that we are managing our money well. And, and, and just specifically for CRC, historically, because you may be thinking, we don't have a whole lot of people. We probably don't have a whole lot of money. That's, we don't have a whole lot of money, but we've always had enough. More than what we need, God has continued to be faithful to say, look at what I am able to do. I will take care of this church. I will make sure that you're able to do the things that you need to do. When it came time that we had to start live streaming, God said, I've already given you plenty of money. You have enough to do all of the things you need to do to make sure that people are still able to connect with one another even if they can't physically be together. Like these kinds of things have always happened, and I think that is because we have been faithful to oversee the finances, oversee the things that, that you have been faithful to provide to the church. We've been, we've been faithful to follow what God is calling us to do with that money. But that's a big responsibility, and, and that looks different. There, I mean, the bigger the church gets, sure, they may have a finance committee that helps them know how much money they have, but in the end... It's the responsibility of those who have been placed in church leadership, elder leadership, to oversee and make sure that the money is, is, is dealt well with and, and used well for the glory of God according to the way that he has called them. So elders oversee. And again, I gave you, I gave you a few different ways. They execute judgment. They, they, they examine the word of God and they say, this is what that means and this is how we should live. They, they teach the ways that we are called to live as the people of God. They, 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 they shepherd spiritual formation. They make sure that the people of God are understanding how it is that they are to live. They pray for healing and they oversee the finances of the church. There are so many more things, but those are just some of the ones that we get really specific examples of here in the book of Acts. But eldership is not the only form of leadership within the church. There are also deacons who support the elders. And so that, that's where we're going next. Deacons supporting elders. Um, this is not, again, a greater than, less than thing. This is two different types of roles 
that are being called to two different types of jobs out of the population of the church that are all equally sinners saved by grace. So when I say deacons supporting elders, I'm not trying to say, so you've got elders here, then you've got deacons, and then you've got everybody else in the church. Now, there is some authority, there is some, there is some responsibility for making decisions and, and doing certain things within the church that comes with church leadership, but that's not a greater than, less than, it's a different calling than other. Um, I don't want to get too, too far into the weeds on this, but, but one of the ways that, that we teach how relationships work, uh, specifically in marriage, is this idea of complementarianism, that, that there are two roles within a marriage that God has designed to function differently, neither more important than the other, but both different and unique and vital. And that continues to be true in the way that the church is governed as well. You have elders who are called to make sure that the spiritual formation, the, the teaching, the, the, the biblical understanding, and the, the spiritual growth of the church is being met. But, but when all of that is left to just the elders, there are some gaps, there are some things that tend to not work as well. Now you get to go to Acts chapter 6. Now we're going to read that. Acts chapter 6, I'm going to start in verse number 2, just to give you an example of what this was looking like in the church at the time. Acts chapter 6. It's not going to be on the screen. I'm going to go ahead and read verse 1. Sorry. Now these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, with whom we will, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole congregation. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of the Lord, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, I'm going to keep reading, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogues and of the freedmen, as it was called, rose up and disputed with Stephen. I'm going to come back to why that part is important in just a second. So, here's the thing. Deacons are called to kind of fill in the gaps where the ministry work of the elders is unable to kind of... They, they, there's, there's, there comes a point when you are responsible for teaching and preaching and praying and studying the Word of God, right? What is it that the, 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 the apostles were saying? It's not right that we stop studying and being able to teach to make sure that we're waiting on tables. But here's the thing. There were gaps. There were people, and it said, a complaint arose among the Hellenists. That is, that is those who were Greek who were being saved. They were, they were not being treated necessarily equally by everyone in the church, and they were kind of being neglected. They weren't getting the things that they needed. 
And the apostle said, we don't have, this, is, this sounds really rude. I don't think they meant it rude. I'm just going to say it as me. We don't have time to make sure that all of these things, are, we have a whole church with multitudes and multitudes, greatly increasing, that we have to make sure we are, we are feeding spiritually. And we are not going to be able to do that if we have to stop and go make sure that everybody's tables are being, are being cared for. So they call all of these men, these, these first deacons, to step forward. And, and if you notice, most of those names are Greek names. So they called the people who would best be suited to serve the current issues that they were facing within the church. And they said, we need you to make sure that these needs are being met because we are not going to be able to take care of these needs effectively and still be able to train the church well in the spiritual matters. So, so deacons are called to fill in some of those gaps, some areas where, where elder leadership is inadequate. Because we, again, we are not Jesus. We are not perfect. We are called to serve in any way that we can. And, and, and in a church our size, sure, there's lots of physical needs that we also help kind of meet and manage. But, but historically, it has been the work of the deacons at, at, here at CRC who, who allow us to kind of focus on the spiritual stuff and take care of the logistics and the physical things that need to be taken care of around the church or, or helping people. And, and, and I kept reading because I don't want you to think that they weren't spiritual leaders as well. Because I read verse 8, and Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Jordan, just, just, just saying. Great big things happening among the people. Signs, wonders. So, But they were still called to be leaders in the church in some sort of miraculous ways at times. They were still full of the Holy Spirit. I mean, if you've read Stephen's speech in chapter 7, he knew the Word of God really well, and he was ready to give an account for who Jesus was and proclaim the truth of all the gospel. But that should be true of all of us anyways. That should be, that's, just, that's just followers of Christ who are able to, to teach and explain those things. But by taking on this role, it allowed the... the physical needs to be met that the elders were unable to meet, and it allowed the elders to be able to prepare to teach in the way that they were called to do. What are we supposed to do with, I mean, this is, it's like, this is a good lecture on how the church ought to be structured. Great. So we're not going to switch to congregational rule. We're not going to start taking votes. Great. Why is this helpful for me? Why is it important that God, throughout the book of Acts, as he's establishing his church, establishes all of these different roles in this way? Why is it that we take the time to study this? Because, because here's the thing. Just kind of like that example that I used earlier of a parent who leaves their child with someone else in their care. They want to make sure that their child is well taken care of. Because, not because they don't care and they want to go do something away from their kid. That's not why you leave something. There's something else that's important for you to do, but because you love your child, you don't just leave them in the house and lock the door and hope for the best. Right? You make sure that they're well cared for because you love them. And this, honestly, when I look at the church, the way that God has structured it, it's, it's a message of God saying, because I love you and I want good for you, I want to make sure that you are well taken care of while you are still the church on earth. Until we are together forever, with, until we are with him forever in heaven, 
He wants to make sure that he cares for us because he is our loving father who wants to make sure that his sons and daughters are cared for because he loves us. Because he wants to make sure that more people get to hear the good news of the truth of Jesus. Because he wants to make sure that the Great Commission is carried out. I'm not going to get too far into that. That's, that's next week. It's the grand finale. But I want us to make sure that we understand that, that, that church structure, even though sometimes, like we read in Peter, calls us to humbly submit to the authority of someone else, We're called to humbly submit to the authority of someone else because God loves us and wants good for us. Because he wants to make sure that we are effectively cared for. Because at his core, God is a loving father who wants to take care of his children. And so I say all of that to point back to him and say, he is the perfect loving father who has placed fallen, sinful people in charge of his church to care for as best they are able. But we are only able to do so as we are filled by the Holy Spirit, just like Peter said when we read that in 1 Peter 5. He said, I'm just like you. So I'm going to say this again for, for, for the elders. We are just like you. We are sinners saved by grace, but called to this. And, and we want to do the best we can to care for you because, because we are not caring for you for us. We're caring for you for our Creator. And, and if we aren't doing our job well, just, just like, just like uh, parents are, are to model Christ-likeness for their children so they can better understand who Jesus is, We are called to represent Christ well so that you get a clearer picture of who He is. And we won't do that perfectly every time. We won't always represent Jesus well. And sometimes that might shake what your, your belief or your view of Jesus looks like. And I don't ever want that to be the case. My hope is that, that you learn to, to trust the God who put the people in these positions. And trust that He's good and that He cares for you and that for right now, He has called certain people to different positions in every church, wherever they are. He has called those people to serve in that way because He cares for His children. But don't ever think that we're trying to say, we are now Jesus and you must submit to us because if we do that, then we failed. If we aren't effectively pointing you back to your loving Father who ultimately, that's what, that's what we ought to be doing. If you aren't thinking more of him, then we're not doing a very good job. But that's why I think it's so important that we understand these things. In, in Acts chapter 6, it was, we care for these people who, have, who are not having their needs met by the church. Let's do something because we, we so love those that God is adding to the church. And I, I hope that that is what we as a church here at CRC can continue to do going forward, that we are able to meet your physical needs as we need to, meet your spiritual needs as we need to, point you toward Christ-likeness and point you toward an excellent understanding of what the Word of God says and how we are called to live. We all have different relationships with authority. 
We all have different relationships with those who are placed in positions above us. So some of you, it may be hard to hear, God has called me to, to follow the, this, this person's leadership. It's always weird whenever I preach about this, because I'm like, God says, you got to follow my leadership. And I'm like, oh, that's terrifying. But as we, as we find what it is that God is calling us to, and maybe God is calling you to some role in this. Maybe he is calling you to eldership. Maybe he is calling you to being a deacon. And we didn't even get into the process of how you qualify for those things. That's a, that's a completely different conversation for another 45-minute sermon. But if that's you and you want to talk about that, talk to us, pray with us, let's, let, let's, let's see where that goes. But, but it's important because this is the way that God, again, signifies I care for my people and I want to make sure that they are well taken care of until he brings us all together, united with him in the end.